you started to see a lot of your customers adopting tools like Salesforce and moving to banking online and, and they were transforming how their business was operating. And I just thought there had to be a way for freight to, to be done the same way in a modern SaaS way. Welcome to Profiles by Chain.io. I'm Brian Glick, Chain.io's founder and CEO. Over the coming weeks and years, we'll feature the partners and customers who make up the Chain.io network. We'll focus on learning about the individuals within these companies and how they've helped build the organizations that drive our network. Together, we'll learn what drew them to the industry, why they made it such a big part of their lives, and where they see us all going in the future. Welcome to Profiles by Chain.io. I'm Brian Glick, Chain.io's CEO and founder. On this episode, we're going to be talking to Graham Parker. Graham is the CEO at Containers, a UK-based software company that develops digitization portals to help freight forwarders compete in the modern digital freight environment. You can find Containers at containers.com, and that's containers with a K, K-O-N-T-A-I-N-E-R-S.com. This is a great episode. Graham is definitely an industry personality and a longtime insider, having worked both on the operations and technology side. We really enjoyed recording this episode, and I hope you enjoy listening. So welcome, Graham, and uh, thank you for joining us. Happy to have you today. Thanks, Brian. It's uh, great to be here, and thank you for having me on the podcast. Sure. So always like to start sort of with the with the background. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the supply chain and logistics space? Yeah, sure. So I uh, after after school, uh, I grew up in Ireland um, and uh, I went to do business in college uh, and uh, to my uh, parents uh, dismay and horror. Um, I dropped out halfway through. Um, and I was just always fascinated by by the supply chain and logistics. Um, I mean, at that stage, um, in the, uh, at the end of the last century, wow, I feel old. Uh, I'm talking like late '90s here. Um, you know, it was it was just fascinating. You know, connecting up the world, global currencies, global commodities, all of it together. It just seemed like a like a fascinating world. And uh, after I did that, a friend of my family. Um, had a really large shipping group um, and I was super interested in getting in there. So uh, I started just uh, as a documentation clerk in a, in a shipping company, uh, you know, just moving, moving, moving freight around, uh, you know, and, and back in those days, it was, it was incredible to come in in the morning and uh, sitting in Europe and starting your day, uh, swapping emails with somebody in, in Asia and finishing your day with uh, having a telephone conversation with somebody in the US, it, it really, you know, gave a, gave a global feel. So that's how I, uh, how I got, uh, got into it. <laughs> do, do you think that um, working out of Europe, that, that there is sort of a different perspective on how this all comes together than, uh, than maybe the people you've worked with uh, here in the States? I think to a certain extent, yes. You know, I think growing up when, you know, in my teenage years, you know, thinking about the uh, pre-college courses, it was it was all about kind of uh, thinking about um, different parts of the parts of the world. And, you know, I, I think in Europe, you've got such a diverse collection uh, of countries, um, you know, in a landmass um Approximately the size of the U.S., you've got literally dozens of, uh, of countries and languages and cultures 
And I think it does make you more curious, um, you know, and thinking about trade. And obviously trade is relatively easy within Europe because you can just, you know, cross borders very easily. And uh, and certainly in my case, it did make me, you know, uh, very interested in, you know, how, how the world is connected and, and how supply chains play a pivotal role in all of that. So, um a lot of people, when they when they aspire to enter this industry, they have sort of that very passionate view of global trade and currencies, and maybe they picture something from a movie, and then they get into it and they see the pile of paper that's on their desk the first day, uh, and some of them don't make it to lunchtime. Um, what <laughs> was it about it that, that made you actually stay and, and decide to make a career out of this? I think, you know, right from the outset, I, I remember my first day, um, the only file that was on my desk was this giant file that literally had a couple hundred pages. Um, and I always remember it was an LCL shipment um, that was uh, was stuck in a depot in Miami and it had left Europe three months before that. Um, and, and somebody gave me the job of getting on the phone and trying to fix it. And I didn't have a clue about anything. Um, and I jumped on the phone and I, I got hold of this really nice guy in Miami and he was you know, very keen to get it sorted out. And by the end of my first day, I said, okay, I can put that file away. It's delivering tomorrow. And they all looked at me. So I think I, I think you get this kind of problem-solving um, part of your brain um, in freight uh, really, you know, becomes a pivotal part of what you do every day. Um, you know, it, it all comes back to solving problems. Um, and, and right from that first day, solving that problem, every day there's new problems. Um, you look at things differently. Um, and yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's not, as, not as glamorous as I thought it would be when I dropped out of college for it. But, you know, there is something incredible um, to think about, you know, as, as uh, somebody that's involved in world trade, talking to people in multiple time zones and, and, and thinking about the problems that we face as a, you know, as, as, a, as a, not just a country, but kind of as a, as a globe, I guess, or as, as the entire world. So um, who was um, maybe a big influence for you in, in your career? Um, you know, I think uh, in, in um, even though I dropped out of business school, I was um, always um, and still am um, a, a really, really uh, passionate Berkshire Hathaway fan. Um, you know, I, I was always uh, in, in business school, some of the, the only books um, that I would I would read um, I would be would be um, about Berkshire and, and just how um, how amazing um, a company they were um, you know and, and particularly Warren Buffett but also Charlie Munger they were just um, incredible to read their their story and how grounded they were and how simple they made to, made to look things and I think you know, as time has gone on and founding Containers, uh, Containers is actually five years old today, by the way. So half a decade. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Feels like about two decades already. <laughs> um, I, I think during this uh, this journey, I think um, the person that stands out is is uh, Mark Benioff. Um, like, you know, if you look at Salesforce, you know, they pretty much invented cloud computing, as you know, um, and, and modern SaaS. Um, but, you know, outside of that and to see the crazy growth, you know, $15, $16 billion worth of revenue this year, um, he's just such an incredible and inspirational leader. Um, 
we we've recently become a Salesforce partner and the ecosystem that he's built is incredible, but just a group of people. He's remained, again, so grounded and so passionate about the world and people around him. And it's just great to see people that can be so successful stay grounded and really genuinely care about the world, you know, be it homelessness in San Francisco uh, or or uh, upskilling uh, people through um, the trailblazer programs and things. He's, he's you know, truly uh, inspirational. So take me back five years then, if it's since it's your, your uh, company birthday, which, you know, I, I can speak from experience, becomes your personal birthday after a while. Um, what is uh, what was what was in your mind five years ago when you said, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some, create something new in the world." What was what motivated that to to make that jump? So after after I got into the freight world, uh, I think it was like 1920. Um, by the time I was 22, um, I was crazy enough to think I could start my own freight forwarding business. Um, and, you know, my target was to do a million dollars in sales in the first year, and I, and I managed to do it. And then every year for f- five or six years, I doubled it in revenue. So I went from a million to two to four to eight and up to 16. Um, and it was an incredible journey as somebody in their 20s doing that, traveling the world, building a business. Um, and eventually towards the kind of, you know, sixth or seventh year, um, you started to see a lot of your customers adopting tools like Salesforce and moving to banking online and starting to use Dropbox or, you know, Office 365 or Google Apps. And they were transforming how their business was operating. And I just thought there had to be a way for freight to to be done the same way in a modern SaaS way. So um, I was lucky enough uh, to have a, a good friend um, who's my co-founder, Charles Lee, and he's a Cambridge-educated computer scientist. He's a uh, hundred times smarter than me. And uh, I thought, you know, if we could have this kind of, uh, you know, uh, marriage, if you will, of, of freight experience and technology experience, uh, it would give us every chance to build something of value in, in the freight technology space, which, you know, back in 2014 was, was still very young, but it was clearly going to become something. Um, so we, we, you know, we took, it took us two and a half years or so to get our first commercial product to market, but, you know, we just felt that we could add some value in the, in the ecosystem. What do you wish you knew back then that, you know, now that you've learned either in the, in those five years or going back 10 to starting the first company? You know, I think, I, I think about it every day in terms of, you know, everything always takes longer, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're writing, when you're writing documents and you're saying, you know, we can do this in X time and, and this in Y time, I think literally nearly every time in my career now, it, everything takes longer. Uh, you know, that's something that really resonates with me. And especially when, you know, um, products that containers have in the market today are brand new, they're almost, you know, reimagining a genre of software. So it's super difficult. Um, so everything does take longer. And um, I think when you're an entrepreneur, you're just naturally not patient. So it's, you know, it's almost not within your DNA to kind of say, oh, it's, it's okay. You know, it's going to happen in six quarters or eight quarters. You want it to happen tomorrow. <laughs> um, so trying to, trying to kind of, um, you know, um, understand that everything does take longer. I think for me, that's always the one that, uh, that resonates. Have you found any tricks for sort of balancing that and not 
having your head explode and I'm asking, I'm asking mainly for my personal selfish reasons because I, I definitely live the same experience. So uh, how do you kind of get your head through that? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, I, I think to be honest, Brian, I think it's it's um, it's it's about um, um, expectations as well. Um, I think like setting expectations both internally and externally um, very early, um, you know, make make a lot of sense. I think Warren Buffett has a, a great story about you know um, uh, ballets and rock concerts. You know, you can put on one or both, but you know, don't crisscross. So. You know, kind of setting expectations very high and then not not hitting them um, is 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 obviously a, a big challenge in 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 the freight technology industry, because you know sometimes entrepreneurs even come from successful ones come from other industries and um, they look to replicate what they've done in other industries and it's just not that straightforward because it's you know a lot of what we do every day is still still being kind of invented almost. Um, so, so for us, I think it's about kind of like, um, trying to set your goals, um, as, as high as you want to, but, but kind of understand that actually a lot of this stuff really does genuinely take time. Um, you know, especially things like this. So trying to understand, trying to set your expectations, um, you know, if you, if you want to grow, um, but it's going to take, uh, it's going to take, a a couple of years, I think, you know, being, being upfront and honest about that, um, you know, just just by default, we're in an industry where everything is going to take take that bit longer. And if you look at some of the successful freight technology companies, I think they've done that very well. You know, they talk about horizons of years and sometimes even decades. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos and Amazon has done it very well. You know, in the early days of Amazon, he said, you know, we're not going to make a profit for X amount of years. We're going to reinvest heavily. He set the expectations uh, right from the outset. Um, and and I, and I think it's it's easier said than done, but it certainly makes it easier in the long term to uh, to do something like that. So there's orders of magnitude more money uh, floating around now than when either you or I started our first companies ten or twelve years ago, and and orders of magnitude more companies floating around as well. I think in the in the freight tech space, do you think that community, the investment community especially, has the patience for that? not specific to containers, but just as a general thing, or do you think we're going to see sort of a culling at some point of some of these companies that they can't return quickly? Yeah, I think, you know, the freight tech industry, um, as we know, is, um, is, uh, is super interesting on the technology, on the um, finance landscape right now. Um, I saw some charts where the pace of investment is now faster than fintech. Obviously, fintech is now more mature, but I think you know there's there's so much money um, piling into uh, into different rounds. Obviously, Flexport's billion dollar round uh, last year got everybody's attention. Just today, I saw Young Kwana, the Chinese company, raising seventy million in a round that included Sequoia. It's incredible the amount of capital that's flowing through freight technology right now. Um, and I think there are investors um, that have an understanding. Of the horizon for returns, um, again, you know, in terms of setting expectations, I do think that it's going to take some time. Um, but I do think, you know, some of the smaller venture capital firms who have a maybe a five-year lifetime value on their investments um, might come under a lot of pressure. Um, and you know, these building these companies in these brand new sectors do take time. It does take time, and I would say at least a decade. 
Um, so I do think that you will see a natural culling. Um, I think on one side, you've literally got a new freight technology startup coming in every day and you look at it. But I think the, the freight technology ecosystem is so new. Uh, if you fast forward three years, some, some of the billion dollar companies mightn't even have started yet. But I do think maybe some of the early ones, um, maybe they've peaked too early or raised too much money. Um, or are their, are their uh, venture capital partners' expectations don't match the horizon of, of what they're attempting to do. So, yeah, I think, Brian, you will see a natural culling. I think you will see some companies, you know, not there in, in, in a couple of years. Um, and, you know, I think that's another important point as well to, um, to look at. Um, I think in technology, um, we celebrate raising money um, way too way too fast compared to, you know, winning big, winning big contracts, you know, the amount of times I've seen people celebrate, you know, raising big rounds and, and obviously clever people realize that that's actually, okay, it's great to celebrate it, but it's actually only the start of the journey because, you know, there's a return on that capital to come. Um, And I think, you know, over raising uh, is definitely an issue, especially whereas, you know, a lot of capital in the market, Um, you know, it's, it's, it's great raising money, but, you know, um, deploying it efficiently uh, is very difficult. And if a market is still quite early, uh, it's practically impossible to do. So I think, you know, it's an interesting dynamic within freight technology right now because it was the first time I saw Sequoia's name next to an ocean freight technology company. Right. And I think at the same time, there's... Sorry, Brian, did I lose it here for a second? No, you're, you're okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um, will I just continue on? Uh, yeah, go ahead. We'll just we'll just slice okay. out a little bit here. And that up. Sorry. I think it's the first time I've seen um, freight uh, a freight technology company uh, with Sequoia's name attached. So I think a lot of the big name venture capital firms that haven't been in are now are, are now looking to get in. So I think you'll see uh, a very interesting dynamic in the in the quarters and years ahead. I think you'll continue to see more companies come into the ecosystem, more and more money be raised, while at the same time, maybe a natural calling of companies that might have come too early or might have over-raised at uh, too early a stage. So so bringing it back maybe maybe a little bit closer to closer to home for you, what have been some of the challenges uh, over these last five years with containers? What, what, what do you think have been some of your big learning, learning moments? Well, definitely in terms of, you know, um, the investment side, um, you know, we've raised very little external capital um, around a million dollars in our in our five years uh, that, that we've been around. Um, you know, we, we were profitable last year, uh, cash flow positive as well. You know, it, it's really great uh, to, to do that. But, you know, on the other hand, um, people might say it's also a little bit restrictive as well against um, companies that have, you know, masses of capital to deploy. Uh, you know, we don't have an army of salespeople. Uh, we don't have huge marketing budgets. Um, but, you know, we've signed um, almost $5 million of contracts in the last 12 months. And we're, 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 we're kind of in control of our own destiny. And, and one of those reasons is, um, I was mentioning earlier, you know, we, we think that some people, um, it's too easy to overraise too early. Um, so I think kind of managing expectations and manage at board level has been a big learning curve for me over the last uh, five years. And um, understanding um, or trying to get to that point uh, where you, the business has enough capital to grow. Um, 
versus not having too much capital too early where where the repayment um, is, is not there. So I think that's been one of the biggest learning curves, Brian, that, that we've seen or I've personally seen in, in the in the roller coaster journey over the last five years. And, you know, I think every 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 young uh, enterprise SaaS company is the same, right? It's, it's literally is like a, a roller coaster in the early so, years. So I've I've had a lot of conversations recently, in fact one this morning with people who they they want to start a tech company and they go, oh, I'm going to do something in freight, right? And they don't necessarily have the pedigree that either either you or I or a lot of the uh, other sort of founders of our generation have of coming up through operations. Uh, do you think, you know, some of them see that as a strength and some people see that as a weakness. Kind of where do you fall in that spectrum of of whether you need to really have that operational experience to build something in this industry? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's super important, Brian. I mean, going back to the founding of containers, um, it was really important to, uh, for me to find um, a great founder um, with, with a technology background. And, you know, Charlie is um, is regarded in, uh, particularly in, um, in Europe as one of the, you know, one of the smartest technologists around. He was part of the team that remapped the human genome. Um, so it, I think that that kind of in, in the early stage companies, having an understanding of both freight and tech is invaluable because I've personally seen companies um, that have had a lot of freight experience that didn't quite get the technology space and vice versa. I've also seen great technologists come in and not understand the freight space um, and, and not be able to kind of make an impact. So I think having an understanding in your business, at least somebody senior that understands freight and operations is really important. Because, you know, everybody is only one degree away from the supply chain. But getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, how do I move a container from Lianyong Gang by barge, rail or truck to Salt Lake City? You know, all of the intricacies and the different uh, the different vendors that are involved and, and how it all works. And, you know, there's such a small group of people that have that deep learning. I think it's super important to have that, if not in your founding team, for sure in your management team, right? So what do you guys have coming next? What's uh, what's the next five years look like? So I think for us, you know, um, operating in this customer facing layer, um, we're looking to get more and more freight forwarders, this own branded, customizable digital front end. Um, and, you know, we kind of went a bit backwards. So and then in 2017, when we launched our flagship product, we went to the, you know, the top 100 shipping brands. Um, and we've got 25% of the top 20 now using our software. And that was a great learning curve. Um, you know, our enterprise product alone will do a million bookings next year, making us one of the, one of the biggest platforms around. And, you know, now we're in the middle of our edge product, which is the, the medium sized one. And, you know, our goal is to get this capability into the hands of every freight brand on the planet um, and make it as easy as, you know, going to Squarespace, uploading your logo, picking color scheme, and you're a digital forwarder in, in seconds. Um, and, and we really want to democratize that and give, give every freight brand um, a chance of going digital and winning in the next decade. So I think a lot of the initiatives that we have will be focused towards getting, getting there um, and then getting deeper into, we're testing air freight right now. It'll be live by the end of the year. Um, we do trucking as part of Ocean already, so we'll, we'll most likely roll that out as a um, as a sole product um, as part of the freight forward 
offering. But I think for us, yeah, that our our goal is to, you know, get this um, front-facing uh, technology into the hands of every every freight forwarder. And you know, before before Edge, um, our Edge product, it was it was super expensive, you know, to get this customer-facing capability right. We right now we even see top 10 forwarders spending one to two years building this technology, costing millions of dollars. And even then, it sometimes doesn't even get to market. So, you know, the the idea of every freight forward is just being able to go to a website, uploading their logo, picking color scheme, and using technology that's been used by lots of big guys to tr- transact um, millions of bookings, um, giving that peace of mind, it means that, you know, it's, it's just truly democratizing it. And you know, as a company that's not a disruptor, as an enabler, we're really passionate about that. We believe that freight forwarders are going to win. Um, they've got the customers, the global um, office network, and the deep industry knowledge. And by augmenting some technology, they're they're going to win. Um, so we're super passionate about that. And our mission, I think, in, in the next five years is to see it as a reality that every freight brand gets access to that. And I think we've, we've made a lot of inroads uh, towards that already. So, you know, I... I... As a, as a partner of yours, I obviously agree with your vision. Um, but do you find that as you move down market, that the the companies that aren't necessarily attending every trade show and staying up on the on the latest that they that they can see that vision or that they understand it is it is it permeating yet, or are you guys still having to do a lot of education with those sort of mid market companies on why this matters? Yeah. You know, that's a great point. I have to say, I mean, I think it's still very early. Um, we've had, a, we actually just did a did a, a study recently internally. Um, we've had 423 expressions of interest on our Edge product that we launched in quarter four last year. Um, and we looked at the ones that are, you know, seriously looking to buy something in the next couple of quarters. Um, and we estimated it to be about 16%, one six of that 423. Um, and that, that's very close to the technology adoption curve, where the first 15, 16% or so are early adopters and innovators, which means that the early majority, which is 30%, and the late majority, which is 30% or so, are not there yet, um, which means effectively, you know, we're still selling to the, the early adopters. So I, I think you're right. I think um, a lot of the market haven't made decisions yet. I think the, you know, the ones that are buying from us now are definitely the, you know, the ones that have had successes with maybe a Salesforce CRM or another piece of software where they've just, they've seen a return or they've, they've seen the, how it positively impacts their business. So yeah, I think it's, it's quite early, which is, um, which is interesting. Um, but hopefully it's an opportunity in the, in the quarters and years ahead. Uh, we, we all hope that one day we'll just wake up and the early majority, 30% will just be ready. <laughs> <laughs> that would, that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> so do you think, um, <laughs> Do you think they have time? I mean, there's one of the sort of theories, you know, kind of going back to the money that's coming into the industry is, you know, that that these early movers with a lot of money can sort of corner things like Amazon did. And I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that theory in given the size of our industry and, and how nobody really has a truly dominant market share. But do you think that that's a, that this is a sort of a, a winner take all game or an early mover game or do you think that there's uh, there really is space for that the sort of the breadth of companies that we have today i think you will see um you will see some kind of you know mega companies in the next decade um that don't exist today in scale um i mean if you look at you know the top 
ocean forwarder in the world, Coonanagle, they have around 5% market share. Um, by the time you get to number 10, it's less than 1%. And, you know, there's probably lots of reasons for that. But technology in almost every other industry and vertical has enabled winners to get unseen market share. Um, and it's, it's easy to see how the early adopter innovating freight forwarding brands and maybe some of the disruptors um, you know, become companies in the next decade that might have you know, 20% market share. I definitely think that's possible, but I'm not sure if um, in the global nature of trade and the diverse geographies that are involved, um, whether you would see one that would have the kind of you know, stranglehold over uh, e-com that you see that Amazon have. But I, I do think that technology has presented a once-in-a-generation opportunity to revolutionize um, freight, to offer brand new ways for existing freight brands to win, future-proof their business, upsell new products, while at the same time realizing that, you know, freight arbitrage is, is really dying fast. Um, and I think you will see um, a shift in dynamic and, and definitely some, in my view, some some um, mega winners in the next decade and a natural calling of, of, of some as well. Well, that's, uh, I think that's an awesome place to sort of head towards the, the, the finish line here on this interview. So, um, you know, is there any other sort of final thoughts on, on maybe where the, the challenges are that we all should be addressing together or, or where, where you think we need to go as, as an industry? Yeah, I think, you know, in, um, you know embracing um, digitization is something that I think every freight brand has to do. Um, they can do it a million and one different ways. But again, and, you know, going back to um, somebody that I admire a lot, Mark Benioff, he, he, I saw an interview with him on Mad Money last week uh, with Jim Cramer, and he talked about, you know, a company that's doing 15, 16 billion dollars revenue grew 33% uh, in Europe in the last quarter and 24% overall. And, you know, people, Jim was saying, how is that even possible? And he said, you know, every company is reimagining their journey with their customer digitally. Um, and he compared it to Y2K as an opportunity in, in, in technology. So I think every company um, should be embracing digitization. Every freight brand should be envisioning it. They can do it a million and one different ways. Um, you know, um, but I think sitting on defense is, is not is not the answer. And I think, you know, somebody like Salesforce that has exposure to every company on the planet when they're growing like that, I think it's it shows that and this is this is very much happening. And then um, within that growth, uh, the the um, the innovative freight brands are uh, already starting to think about winning in the next decade. Awesome. Well, I think, uh, thank you so much for your time today. It was uh, really, really great to hear about what you guys are working on in containers and, and really how that fits into the future of the industry. Thank you so much for uh, having me, Brian. Uh, we're all big fans of the podcast and uh, thank you again for, for Thanks. having me on. And that's a wrap. Special thanks again to Graham for taking the time to talk with us today. Looking forward to the next episode as well, where we will be learning all about physical security that happens at the container yard and where the technology really meets the physical world in verifying drivers and trucks and all of the other aspects of the physical security process at that gate at your yard. Thank you. Thank you.